Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, church family. Are we having fun? Good morning. It's good to see my lovely wife and my mother-in-law sitting there. It's good to just look around the room and see friends. Good to see Ray Ray get to hug her back there. Mike, welcome from Michigan. We got folks tuning in online from all around the world. We got folks showing up from all around the nation uh, to join us. Good to see so many folks. Uh, Sid, Kristen, welcome back from the beach. Tom and Rhonda. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's fun to gather as the body of Jesus, isn't it? Chris, good to see you, man. Haven't seen you since we were outside. But uh, <laughs> I meant like literally outside when we were worshiping outside. So good to have you back. Uh, we are continuing this morning in a, a new series that we launched last week on timeless truth. So if you have a Bible, and I trust that you do, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to take a look at, at some scripture there. Um, and over this series, I'd mentioned a couple of weeks ago and last week that over this summer, we're going to have some great guests coming in. We've got a special guest coming in next week, uh, Dr. Crawford Loritz. You are going to want to be here and just enjoy his Bible teaching. Um, he just retired officially his pastorate in Roswell, Georgia, and he's going to be with us. Uh, he's launching, not really launching, continuing a, a ministry that, that he launched a number of years ago, developing new young leaders uh, called Beyond Our Generation. So he's stepping away from full-time pulpit ministry, but very involved in ministry and a great Bible teacher. I look forward to having him with us next week. So plan on being here for that. Um, about three weeks ago, as we were kind of still in our, our Colossian series on, on transform, Jesus changes everything, Pastor Scott used an illustration. I don't know if you remember, you probably do, but he, he was talking about cutting the tree down and all the stuff that happens in his life when he has any kind of projects going on, um, blows things up, starts things on fire that are not supposed to be on fire. Um, but he talked about the, the phrase, I got a guy. Do you remember that? That, that has just stuck with me. We traded messages that week a few times like, I got a guy and his name is Jesus, you know? And I thought, I just, I love that. But that phrase has stuck with me because I got a guy. I, I know a guy. But there's also this thing of mistaken identity. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been mistaken for somebody? Uh, true, true story, uh, about two and a half, th about three years ago now, um, a guy looked at me and he said, has anybody ever told you you look like Elvis? <laughs> I'm telling you, honest truth, honest truth. I said, no. I said, I got to be honest. I've been called a lot of things in my life, but no one has ever said I look like Elvis. But then I said, please tell me you're talking about the young, good-looking Elvis, not the old, fat, drunk Elvis. And uh, he never did clarify exactly what he was talking about, so that concerns me just a little bit. But I'm thinking if Jesus changes everything, you may look at your life and you say there are things in my life that are not touched, that are not transformed. And so here's what I want to challenge us with this morning. Do you have the right Jesus? Do you have the true Jesus? Have you had an encounter with the true Jesus? Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at a text this morning where Peter is clarifying who Jesus is. 
And he's, he's drilling at home talking about this Jesus, very specific, this Jesus. Don't confuse this Jesus with any other Jesus. And I believe that in our culture, we do confuse Jesus with a lot of other Jesuses or a lot of other gods that we think are going to be significant or life-changing. Uh, you may kind of have this belief in a political God or a national God, a national Jesus, because you think all of our solutions are political solutions. They're not. You may have a racist Jesus or a hippie Jesus. I think hippie Jesus is pretty popular. Hippie Jesus is the guy who just loves everybody and walks around and quotes nice poetry and hands out flowers to people and plays bongo drums, right? Because he's so loving and he's so compassionate. He is loving, he is compassionate, he is gracious, but he's also a God of wrath and a God of judgment. And, and we have to put those things together to really understand who Jesus is. Or maybe you just have put your trust in easy Jesus, that, man, all I have to do is, is, is believe in Jesus. Or, or maybe you believe in the vending machine Jesus, right? If I dispense enough prayers and, and sort of have this idea of who Jesus is, then he's going to give me what I want, right? Or the Jedi Jesus, the Darth Vader Jesus, that uh, Jesus is this distant, impersonal force out there, but you really can't know him. This morning, I want to drill down into Acts chapter 2, and I want us in this place to have an encounter with the true Jesus, and realize that he really does change everything in our life. And if we're going to understand the truths of God's word, then we have to understand the true Jesus. Amen? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just to kind of set things up. Peter writes, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is Jesus' promise to his followers. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There's this promise, this lingering promise that something is about to happen. And then in Acts chapter 4, we read this, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, Peter and John and the disciples, there's something going on. They're brought before the council, the Sadducees, the leaders, and this is what is said. It says, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them. These are the leaders, the religious leaders. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of who? Jesus, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Something happened between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 4, and that was Peter's proclamation of who this Jesus truly is. And what happened with Peter and what happened with this brand new church that was being birthed, I believe lays some great groundwork for us. And when I read this, it kind of reminds me of Newton's third law of motion, right? Uh, the law of action and reaction, that for uh, every action force, there's an equal and opposite reaction. When something is happening, uh, and it's interesting, when you look at the life of Jesus, whenever Jesus did something incredible, somebody got mad. There was action, there was reaction. And, and some of us have simply reacted to things in a spiritual realm, but we've not really experienced the transforming power of Jesus. 
Now, the difference between what happens in the book of Acts and Newton's laws of action and reaction is that this was not an equal force. This was a greater force that was taking place than the sin that was in the world. There were two forces, and there are still two forces in the world, the love, the grace, the mercy, the righteousness, the holiness of God, and a sinful fallen world. Those two things are still at odds, and they are still constantly colliding with one another. And you and I experience it every single day of our life, the holiness and righteousness of God and our sin. And so these things had a collision in Acts because people were confronted with their sin, and they were confronted with the person of Jesus Christ. So look at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 32. Let me just read a few verses and set up our text this morning. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 32, says, this Jesus, if if that's not circled or underlined or highlighted in your Bible, I encourage you to do it. You're going to see it a few times. This Jesus, this is Peter, God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jump down to verse 36. He says, let all the house of Israel know there, uh, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus. Now he clarifies, who's he really talking about? This Jesus whom you crucified Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one in you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is a collision between the sinful nature of man and the righteous, holy person of Jesus Christ. And Peter is saying, look, we've all been witnesses of this Jesus, this Jesus. Jesus was a popular name. It came from from the Hebrew Joshua. And so he wasn't the only Jesus walking around. He was Jesus of Nazareth. He was Jesus Christ, both a name and a title because he was the promised Messiah. And so he's clarifying this Jesus whom you crucified, by the way, The one that we've all experienced, this resurrected Jesus, God has made him both Lord and Christ, and his power of his life is transforming. And these people were moved, and they're like, what must we do? And so here's what I want to share this morning, that a true encounter with this Jesus the Jesus of the Bible, the, the Jesus who fulfilled Messianic prophecy to be the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has the power over death, the power over the cross, the power over your sin and my sin to give us brand new life in Jesus Christ. When we have an encounter with this Jesus, I want to share a couple of things. The first thing I want you to see is that it exposes a heart of sin, and it leads to real repentance. A true encounter with this Jesus, this holy, righteous Jesus, exposes my heart of sin, and it leads to a life of genuine, real repentance. Verse 37 says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Uh, They were were simply hearing uh, of, of the good news of Jesus. 
And, and it said they were cut to the heart. The King James Version says they were pricked because the word that is actually used here, it means to pierce thoroughly uh, or to agitate violently. Now, now, some of us that have had an encounter with a religious Jesus or a social Jesus, but, but it hasn't pricked our heart, it hasn't cut our heart, it hasn't agitated our heart violently to be moved to repentance. We may have been irritated, we may have been upset, we may have been disturbed, our life may have been a little bit disrupted, but we haven't been pricked to the heart and cut and agitated by my sin compared to the holiness and righteousness of God. And so when, when Peter turns around and he says, you have to repent, uh, to repent is not simply an acknowledging of my sin. You see, you can acknowledge your sin and not repent. I'm a father with three kids, and, and believe it or not, my kids fought when they were little. Anybody else? So it's only, it's only in my home, right? When you walk in a room and I see my son hitting the other one with a stick or dropping a brick on his head, which really happened, it's like, what are you doing? Tell him you're sorry. And what does he say? I'm sorry. Is he genuinely sorry? I'm sorry I'm caught. You were never supposed to see that. Listen, some of us approach God much like my kids. Oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm caught. That's not genuine repentance. That's not confession of your sin before a holy God. Matter of fact, false repentance dreads the consequences of sin, where true repentance dreads sin itself. Do you see the difference? When I acknowledge the holiness and righteousness of God and I see my sin for what it is, I dread my sin, not simply the consequences of my sin. And some people have, have falsely come to easy Jesus simply saying, well, yeah, I, I'm guilty, I'm a sinner. Well, listen, you can acknowledge your sin all day long, but until you surrender and repent of that sin and turn away from sin, the word repent literally means to do a 180. It means I was headed in one direction, but now I'm going in a completely different direction. It's turning from my sin and myself to someone, and that someone is Jesus. It's not admitting my sin. God knows my sin, and I know my sin. And I can know my sin and acknowledge my sin all day long and never be saved. But to repent is to turn away. Has your heart ever been agitated? Has your heart ever been cut, just broken by acknowledging your sin before a holy and righteous God? We don't talk about that much anymore. My sin caused Jesus to die a brutal death on a cross, and He did it willingly, and He did it lovingly. And he did it with compassion and care and with mercy. You see, repentance leads to salvation. And salvation, if I could put it very simply, uh, salvation is not simply acknowledging my sin. Salvation is not simply believing intellectually in the person of Jesus Christ. Salvation is literally, it, it involves your intellect, your emotion, and your will. 
Because when I acknowledge my sin, when I repent, what happens? I understand who this Jesus really is. This Jesus whom you crucified, who fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament hundreds of years before he was born that were prophesied, this is who the Messiah would be. And this Jesus fulfilled all that, and he died a brutal death on a cross, and I have to intellectually understand who Jesus really is, but I also have to be moved emotionally that what I do by by nature in my sin displeases God and is contrary to his holiness. So there has to be an intellectual part, there has to be an emotional part to realize that Jesus loved me enough to die for my sin. That moves me, people. I don't know about you, that moves me. It it cuts my heart, it agitates, and and it pricks the very core of who I am, that God loved me enough that he would die for my sin. It's an intellectual decision, it's an emotional decision, but it also is a, a surrender of the will. It involves your intellect, your emotion, and your will. Because see, you can know Jesus intellectually, and you can even be moved and hurt and brought to tears because of your sin and still walk away from Jesus. Because if you don't surrender to him and give yourself over to him in dependence and repentance and turning away from sin and self, turning to the person of Jesus, there's no salvation. And and I often think of a chair. I I do have, you kind of discover, has anybody been reminded of their sanctification over the last couple of weeks with your toothbrush? Anybody? Please, please tell me. Tell me you picked up your toothbrush and you remember you've been sanctified. Okay. Go back two weeks and catch that message because I have these daily reminders in my life that just remind you of my relationship with Jesus. And this chair reminds me of what it is to be saved. Amen? What a beautiful reminder of salvation, isn't it? Because see, now here's the deal. Intellectually, I can believe this is a chair. How many of you in the room or online, raise your hand because I can see you. How many of you believe that this is a chair? Some of you are doubters. Come on, Miguel, seriously. Do you believe this is a chair? Intellectually, you can believe that this is a chair all morning, all day. So what good does that do? I can even be moved to go, man, okay, I'm still recovering from ruptured Achilles. It's been almost two years. I'm weak. I know this would be relaxing. If I could just sit in it and relax and emotionally, I would go, oh, that would be awesome. And I I could even kind of be moved emotionally to go, man, what it does is so good and it relaxes me and it's comforting. And so I can have all that, but there has to come a point for me to truly believe in the chair is not simply an intellectual and emotional response. There has to be a surrender of my will to the chair for me to truly believe in the power of the chair. Does that make sense? Watching you people come in this morning, I did not see one of you test your chair. I didn't see one of you pick it up and turn it over and check the legs. We probably should have. Uh, I've experienced those bad things too, but no one did because you believed in the chair and you came to a point where you surrendered yourself to the chair that you are in. You came to the point of, you walked in, you said, man, I believe that's a chair and that's going to be a great place to sit. I'm not too close. I'm not too far back where I'm going to be distracted. I'm right here in the middle with Lindsay and I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to be right here. Michelle came and she got her spot. She did not pick up her chair and check it, but when she walked in, she came and she surrendered herself to the chair. See, to believe in it emotionally, intellectually, there has to come a point where I surrender my will to the chair. This is a picture of true belief in a chair. 
Some of you intellectually believe in Jesus. You've been moved by the power of the holiness and righteousness of God through worship or through God's Word or through Bible study or through a message, and you've been moved because you realize in your heart of hearts you're a sinner. And you know why you feel like you're a sinner? Because you're a sinner, and so am I. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that is not a sinner before a holy God. Intellectually, you can believe. Emotionally, you can be moved. And maybe you've stood there through countless, countless choruses of, you know, um, of some invitation hymn, I surrender all. And you sang it 85 times. And you stood there and you were moved emotionally because, but, but you've never come to the place of surrendering your heart and life. See, this, this is giving up of myself. I, I, have, I am completely rested in the chair. What about you this morning? Have you ever come to the place that you are completely rested, completely surrendered to Jesus Christ? Have you had that encounter with this Jesus? Because when we do, it exposes a heart of sin and it leads to real repentance. But secondly, I want you to see that it ensures us that we are saved. I love this. You see, when we come to a true encounter with Jesus, it ensures us that we're saved and it leads us closer to Jesus and closer to the body of Christ. Look at verse 38 if you have your Bibles open still. It simply says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we repent and believe, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love the way Paul puts it in Ephesians. He says, for we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing all of our future inheritance. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer has two primary responsibilities. One, to assure us that we are saved, and second, to convict us of sin. Why? Because he wants us to grow to be more like Jesus. So he's going to bring areas of conviction in our life because he knows when I give my heart and life to Jesus, it doesn't make me perfect. It makes me forgiven. It doesn't make me perfect. It makes me his child, part of his family, part of his body. But he knows that I'm still wrestling with sin. And so the work of the Holy Spirit convicts me of my sin, draws me to a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, don't turn there, we'll throw it on the screen for you. But I love what Paul says. He says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I love that. The the Spirit is an affirming spirit in me to assure me that I am a child of God. And and when you look at what happens here in, in the life of these believers, I love it because they are growing in this relationship with God and in the relationship with each other. And if, if you have your Bible, just look down with me. Uh, verses 42 through 46 or so of Acts chapter 2. And I would encourage you this week, go back and just mark some of these things, because what, what we see there really quick are a lot of characteristics of what was taking place in the life of these believers, these brand new believers. As they're drawing close to Jesus through the power of His Holy Spirit, they're drawing close to one another. And so I have some things that I've just highlighted in my Bible. It, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They, they were enjoying fellowship. They were breaking bread together. They were praying together. They were in awe together. They were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions. They were distributing the proceeds to all, uh, to anyone that had need. 
It says that day by day, they worshiped together. They were breaking bread in their homes together. They were praising God. They were having favor with all people. See, see, their lives were so transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that they had favor with all people. It didn't mean, it doesn't say that, hey, all of a sudden they agreed with everybody. Is there anybody in this room that disagrees with anybody about anything? I know you do because I see it on social media all the time. We can disagree and yet still have favor with people through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Because see, when you fall in love with Jesus, you learn to love the things that God loves. What does God love? He loves his church. He loves people. So when you fall in love with Jesus, you have an encounter with this Jesus. You begin to fall in love with the things that God loves, that Jesus loves. Jesus loves his church, not, not just Southbridge, but every other Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church that claims the name of Jesus Christ out there. And we may not agree with them on everything, but they claim the name of Jesus Christ. And that makes us a family. And God loves his church. And God loves people. But we go on because the third thing I want you to see in this text is that a true encounter with this Jesus exalts him to his rightful place. And it leads us to authentic worship. See, to exalt literally means to, to lift up or to, to exalt, to, to lift him up. And now, sometimes we think of worship as just coming together and singing songs. Can I tell you that's not true? To exalt Jesus and to worship him involves every single aspect of your life. You worship him in your work. You worship him through your family. You worship him in every area as you exalt him in every area of your life. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. And everything you're willing to give to him, he's willing to change. And we need to exalt him. The trouble is that we don't exalt him and we don't lift him up in every area of our life. We want to lift him up on Sunday morning from 9 to hopefully only 10, 15. Or from 11 till 12, 17 because it's later service and we can go longer, right? Which is why most of you come to early service. You know we're on a time frame here. But see, when we exalt him, we lift him to his rightful place. That leads us to authentic worship in every area of our life. Look at verse 32 and 33. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Can I just tell you, they're not in church right now. They're out in the public square. And the Holy Spirit is being poured out because they're exalting Jesus in every area of their life. That's why the things began to happen as they gathered and they worshiped together and they broke bread together. They were exalting Jesus in every area of your life. They're leading people to the Savior. They're bringing them into their homes and the church is growing because they're exalting Jesus in every area of your life. They started selling their possessions, right? Because all of a sudden, my possessions are not the most important thing to me anymore. I, I'm willing to sell those to exalt Jesus to minister the needs of someone else. Whoa, 
That's kind of radical. My home, my possessions are not the most important thing to me anymore, so all of a sudden I'm willing to allow people to come into my home and break bread together and worship Jesus together because I'm not exalting my possessions more than Jesus. To worship Jesus is to lift him up, to exalt him. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. He is one with the Father. And yes, please, please listen to me careful. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But can I tell you this? He's not simply your buddy. He's not simply your good coworker. And he's not simply to be treated as a good, good friend. He is God Almighty. And he needs to be respected as such. He needs to be exalted. We need to seek him in every area of our life. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the intimacy of Jesus. Matter of fact, Romans 8, Paul goes on and he says that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ because we become a child of God Does it make sense that we become co-heirs with Jesus Christ? We've been adopted to the family as children of God, and we are co-heirs with Christ, and yet Jesus is still God. And we need to exalt him. We need to seek him in every single area of our life to exalt him. I think we can be honest enough to say that we don't do that well. There are areas in my life I still have to seek after God and exalt Him over my own desires, over my own um, will, over my own passion, over my own interests. I love Pastor Vody Bacham. He said this, look at it on the screen. He said, we do marriage according to Dr. Phil, raise our children according to Dr. Spock, govern our sex lives according to Dr. Ruth, and only turn to Dr. Jesus when things have gotten so bad we can't find another doctor to help us. See, that's a false Jesus. I'm, I'm going to just turn to Jesus in my hard times. Maybe he's my medical doctor, Jesus. And I'm only going to go to him when, when, I got, when I'm ailing, as we say in the South. When, I, when I'm ailing, I'm going to turn to Dr. Jesus, and I'm going to deposit a few prayers, and, and I'm going to ask him to dispense whatever I ask for. That's not exalting Jesus in every area of my life. It's turning to him for everything, every moment, every day. Right? Authentic worship is putting Jesus in his rightful place and attributing to him the honor and the glory that is due to him alone. That's worship. And yes, you can worship by singing, but can I tell you this? Just a little, little surprise, maybe a hint, maybe something you never know. You can worship Jesus and not sing. Worship is simply my proper response to the truth of who he is in every single area of life. The fourth thing I want you to see that when we have a true encounter with this Jesus, it engages us in a sinful world. And it leads to spirit-filled ministry in the power of Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Look at verse 40. And with many other words, he, Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. How many, how many of you in this place right now would go, holy cow, I think I live in a crooked generation. I think I live in a crooked, broken world. Anybody? Amen. Go ahead. Just say it out loud like you believe it. Amen. All right. 
We live in a crooked, broken, fallen world. And all the problems in our world are gospel problems. They're people who are disconnected from this Jesus. And so when Jesus in, invites us into his family, what does he do? He invites us into his mission. Some of you this morning, I, I just got to be really honest, you've come to the place you've truly trusted Jesus. Some of you maybe are a little uncertain, maybe you're unsure. Maybe I've raised questions in your heart this morning. That was not my intent, but I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a true relationship with this Jesus because that's the only thing that's going to matter. But some of you have a relationship with this Jesus, but, but you've not exalted him in your area of ministry, and, and you've disconnected from the mission to which he's invited you to participate. If I were to just poll, and I don't want to see a show of hands, I just want an honest answer from your heart between you and Jesus right now. When was the last time you personally shared your faith in Jesus with another person? Now, just to counter that, to give you a little perspective, when was the last time you shared your political opinion with anybody? When was the last time you shared your opinion about pandemic, endemic, whatever you want to call it? When was the last time you shared your opinion about that? That shows what we prioritize, doesn't it? One of the things my heart's been really heavy for over this last year is the loss of the passion and urgency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think Satan is so deceptive, he's crept into our culture, and he's made us so concerned about so many other things that we've lost the urgency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And folks, we need to get back to it. We need to get back to this sense of urgency that says, man, the message, I love the way the message puts Acts 2.40. He went on in this vein for a long time, urging them over and over, get out while you can. Get out of this sick and stupid culture. Somebody say Amen. Folks, we need to leave and we need to go to a lost and dying world with a sense of urgency. And if need be, we need to plead with people to encounter this Jesus. Because they're searching for all kinds of answers and all kinds of other phony Jesuses out there. And they need to have a true encounter with this Jesus. But it will only happen when you personally have an encounter with this Jesus. Have you? Have you? You see, you can be affiliated and familiar with Jesus your whole life and still die and spend an eternity separated from God. You can be a member of a church and still die and spend an eternity separated from God. You can know all the right answers and all the right facts and still die and spend an eternity separated from God. Maybe you're frustrated because you're just not experiencing the joy that you think you should have in a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're not experiencing assurance of salvation. Maybe you're not experiencing hope. Maybe you're not experiencing a sense of urgency for the gospel because you yourself have never had this true encounter with this Jesus. I want to invite you to do that this morning. I love Pastor Paul Washer. He said this. He said, blind men see no beauty in a sunset. Deaf men are unmoved by song. Beasts have no appreciation for art, and carnal men find no worth in God. We live in a broken, fallen world who sees no need 
and no worth in a relationship with God. So what are we to do? We're to go out and we're to compel them through our life, through our action, through our words, yes, through our very speech, through our testimony, through the way that we live, to be transformed by the power of Jesus and and to engage in the mission with Him. As we close our time in prayer, I want to call us to an invitation because whether you're watching online or whether you're sitting in this room, I believe that every single one of us have a decision to make in some area of our life. Maybe you're sitting here, you've never come to know Jesus Christ personally. I want to invite you to do that. And we'd love to have a conversation with you. If you're watching online, we're going to put up a a number. You can text that number. You can just simply text Jesus to the number that's up there. If you want to know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you're in this room, we want to have a conversation with you. We're going to put a number up and you can text that, but, but I really want to have a conversation, you with somebody in this place. Maybe you're sitting here, you're unsure of where you stand in the relationship with God. Maybe you remember a moment that you kind of walked an aisle as a child or something, but you're struggling with the assurance of salvation. What does it mean? How do I know for certain? Guys, don't leave this place. Don't don't turn us off online until you settle that and have a conversation. What does it mean to know beyond the shadow of doubt that I can have assurance of salvation? Maybe there's areas of your life that you've been holding back in your relationship with God. You're not exalting Him. You're holding on to those things, and God's just tugging at you a little at a time. Maybe you just need to pray with somebody this morning in this room or online. You just need to pray with somebody and say, pray with me over this area because I'm really struggling surrendering this to Jesus. I've turned away from a lot of things, but there's still stuff I want to hold on to. There's a lot of things that that are addictive to us in this world, isn't there? And there's a lot of things we want to cling to to find significance and value from our relationships to our work, to our possessions, to our screens. Those all become a struggle. Maybe you need to get engaged in the mission in a fresh and a new way this morning. And you say, man, I I just want to understand what it is to grow in my relationship with Jesus and how I can engage a lost world. So I don't know where you are, but every one of us have some decision to make this morning. And so what I'm going to ask us to do, I'm going to ask if you're a deacon, if you're an elder, if you're one of our small group leaders, and you'd be willing to just pray with somebody or talk with somebody, I'm going to ask right now, just get up. Right now, just before we even start singing, just right now, if you're an elder, a deacon, just make your way toward the sides. We're going to fill up some space over here. And during this time, as our, as our worship band leads us, as Adam leads, you may want to remain seated where you are, just in an attitude of worship. You may want to get up and you, you may want to sing in response to the Lord, as we're simply talking about, I want to give myself away. I want to give myself to you, Lord Jesus. I want to give myself to you in every area of my life, my my possessions, my thoughts, my deeds, my work, everything about me, I want to give to you. I want to get engaged in the mission. I want to give myself to you so that I can be actively involved. What is God leading you to do this morning? These folks are here. I'm going to be over here as well. We would love to talk with you. We'd love to just pray with you. Maybe you're not even sure this morning exactly what that means in your heart and life. Maybe God is just pricking your heart. You've been cut to the heart, and you're saying, I'm not even really sure what I'm dealing with right now. I just want you to make your way to the sides during this song and talk with one of our folks. Let's just pray together 
and say, God, I want to be the person you've created me to be. Whether online, you can communicate with us or in the room. Guys, we'd love to just talk with you and pray with you this morning. Would you bow your heads in an attitude of prayer? Father, in this place, would you just have your way with us in a way that is new and fresh? Lord, you are tugging at hearts. Lord, you're tugging at my heart as I wrestle with this text that I know that my my life is not in complete surrender. There are things in my life, God, that you continue to tug at. I want to be the person you've called me to be. God, I want to grow. I want to exalt you in every single area. Lord, for that person that's watching online, for that person that's in the room that's never given their life to, to you, Lord, would you speak to their heart right now? If that's you, please text us. Please come and talk to us. If there's errors in your life, you just need to pray with somebody. This is a judgment-free zone right now. We're just going to have an honest moment with Jesus. We want to talk to you. There's folks in the back. There's folks off to the side. You just move during this time. But if you need to remain seated during this time of worship, you do that. You do business with Jesus in this moment, and you encounter him. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the truth of who you are. In your name we pray. Amen.